0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get delivered to your door for a fraction of the price that you'd pay in stores. You can use the offer code SUPERTRAIN for $50 off your purchase. Please go and visit casper.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, it's so early.
1: Yeah, it's
0: really early. How about that, Lindsey
1: Buckingham? Huh? Yeah, he's uh, he should be president of the United States. Yeah, I take it. He's six, take, he's uh, uh,
0: he's sixty-four years old in that video. You know, so am I. Yeah. in this
2: video.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so early. I uh, I was out last night with some other old old people. Uh, when I say last night. I mean, you know, between 5.30 and 7.30. I don't want to talk about I, time travel. And, uh, and so I'm really, really conscious of, you know, there's a small group of us, small group of us old old, old men, all talking about how young we look. It's really nice.
0: Oh Well, do you, do you start by complimenting each other or you just kind of casually note how interesting it is that you continue to look so
1: good and then everybody agrees? Oh no no it's all it all starts on a, a congratulating your friend on how young he looks. Yeah. God, you look so amazing. You look great. So good. How do you do oh, it? Oh you look great. No, you look great and then there's a then there's quite a bit of like we're all good-looking guys. Yeah. You're a good-looking guy. I'm a good-looking good-looking guy. We're all good-looking guys. I need yes. a group like that. Yeah. It's a lie though, of course.
0: A eh, lie agreed upon, you know. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a
1: lie agreed upon is, mm-hmm. that a, is that a legal phrase
0: it's a line from it's the titular line uh from an episode of the tv show deadwood
1: ah deadwood mm-hmm. i know that you care you care deeply about deadwood Deadwood's special
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they have a uh, good guitar playing on there too
1: yeah that's one of those shows you know this is this is a thing that has come up I think before in conversation uh between me and other humans. Mhm. Uh the shows that have uh, modern music. All right, you talked about this with uh Peaky Blinders. Yeah, Peaky Blinders. Um it's I, I I I can't I can never quite I get it. I get why it's very stylish. They don't do that on Deadwood. Deadwood is very
0: Uh, it's very period appropriate except for the very elevated language.
1: Well, I thought the theme, the actual theme song of Deadwood was a little bit, how you say, uh, head in the heart, Hmm. which is a little bit like a modern recreation of what the imagination am I? Sort of a modern, what, what's the word? Take a yeah. modern take. Modern yeah, yeah, take.
0: yeah. We're like, if you didn't know much about music from that time, you'd think might think that's what it sounds
1: like. Yeah, but... if you throw a banjo at a thing, it doesn't make it a thing. Hmm. <laughs> that's a really good point. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. If you th- if you shoot a banjo at a thing, mm-hmm. it still doesn't make it a thing. You got strong feelings about. Uh... Well, it's banjo players that
0: bother you. It's not the instrument itself, right?
1: Uh, mm, contem- contempo. Let's say I don't think it's a banjo player. I should refine this. Yeah. The banjo So first of all, the banjo is a wonderful instrument. Mm-hmm. I think it's if you take a banjo player and you put a certain kind of hat on him. Right? Like like I love banjo playing. Mm-hmm. It's just that it a certain kind of hat goes on a banjo player, then you're headed down a road.
0: Ah, oh, okay.
1: You're on a path now where I'm gonna start. Where I'm going to start to peel off. So, is that a little bit, little bit, like bit, like
0: the bit, like the version uh, having a ring? Like does it start to do stuff to you? Uh, the banjo player version of having a ring. Oh, you know, like the, the Lord of the Rings ring. Oh, I see. What like does just having it kind of like start to change your personality, or you know, say you're walking around with some kind of a Horcrux? Is it going to do something to like to start affecting the way that you think and act? You put a, you well, put I... a
1: flat cap on a banjo player, and pretty soon everything's out of control. I feel like if you are learning an instrument, you are learning the instrument that you have, right? You go to war with the instrument you have, yep. not the instrument you want. So if you are somebody sitting around, you're like, I want to learn the piano. <clears throat> but the only piano that you have is a tack piano. You're going to learn to play the tack piano. Mm-hmm. You're not going to learn to play the concert grand. Mm. You're going to learn to play the tack piano. And uh, so you're learning to play the banjo. Let's say, hey, hey I'm a, uh, here I am. I want to learn to play the banjo? I think there are people who grow up learning the banjo as their first instrument, but I think what ha- a lot of the time they learn the guitar and then they they try to like retro, like they they uh, they modify. They modify down to banjo, they think. Right?
0: Interesting. So whatever you started on, you start with an instrument. That becomes your way of conceptualizing how music works, and then you kind of back into different
1: instruments. Right. This was the interesting thing about Paul McCartney, right? His, he learned the guitar, but he learned banjo chords. because. <sighs>
0: uh, I w- we w- we've been listening to a lot of Beatles. Mm-hmm. Uh, happily at my daughter's request And I still can't get over his bass line I, I sat there and like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds Is not by a long shot my favorite Beatles song but His bass line on that is bananas It's like yeah. where, where did that bass line Even come from Or something like Hello Goodbye Like how is he? How does he just keep getting better and better And it's all over six or seven years It's nuts
1: But you know he was originally a guitar player
0: Now was he originally Wasn't his dad, his dad played like
1: clarinet I wonder if he started on a woodwind instrument I think that I think the story was that they taught him that that his mother uh, knew banjo chords and she taught him banjo chords on the guitar. Wow. So I, I, you know, I haven't read, I haven't read my. You don't keep up with the trades. My, my <laughs> library of Beatles uh, books lately. Yeah. We haven't talked about the Beatles in years. It's been quite a while. We used to talk about them exclusively. Used
0: to be just pretty much Beatles Hitler and uh, getting out of the way.
1: Hmm. But um, but so so I don't know. There's a. If you set down a path and you're like, "I'm banjo's my thing now, and you put on a hat as part of that, okay, right? You see what I'm saying like I think I do. yeah. if you're just in the if you're just devoted to the study of banjo and you're just in there banjo studying
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you're sitting in a tree or whatever wherever they teach banjo, I think generally when you learn it, yeah it's taught in trees.
0: I think you're supposed to I mean, I'm not sure about this, but I think I think you're supposed to be on a paddle wheel boat with no mm. shoes and mm-hmm. one leg swinging over the side.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great way to learn the banjo. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kermit the Frog learned it in a tree. It must be right. hard to keep a tune when you're in a swamp. Well, sure, because of humidity. it's mm-hmm. not the humidity—it's not the—it's not the heat; it's the stupidity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you—if you pick up the banjo and you're like, <clears throat> "This is my new instrument. I'm going to be in the. I'm going to be in a band that requires a banjo player, and I'm going to. And I'm going to pick up this instrument now. And then immediately, as part of that process, you put on a certain kind of hat. Okay. I'm talking not not like put on the banjo player hat, but put on an actual hat, and you think that that's a component of being the banjo player in your band. That's where we part ways. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean, mhm. If you think like and it's I don't even think it's a question of like this is my magic banjo playing hat and without it I cannot play the banjo. Mm-hmm. But it's that you think as the banjo player in this band, which I am just beginning on this course of life, I'm going to start out with this hat on. And this is going to be my hat. Hmm. We're we're already we're divorced. You and I are divorced.
0: I, I feel like I, we, I really want to talk about Chris Thiele someday, because I'm kind of obsessed with Chris Thiele right now. Mm-hmm. But I've been watching a ton of videos
1: of... What's that? He's a tremendous musician. <sighs> I don't even know where to begin.
0: Yeah. I've been watching a lot of videos of Punch Brothers and uh, Nickel Creek. Yep. In, in addition to loving his hosting of uh, Prairie Home Companion, it's, the show is transformed. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I know it's a show you won't listen to, but he's been doing it for a while. And like the guest that he has on there, what, he writes a new song every week wow. that every week is a really good song. And he wow. plays the shit out of a mandolin. Mm-hmm. And he's also, there's lots of good natured jokes about being someone who, just, just, just on Saturday night's program, he said, uh, you know what they say about mandolin players. They spend half their time tuning and half their time playing out of tune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but a lot um, of, there's a lot of strings and it, they're very close together mm-hmm. and there's not very much real estate every time i pick up a mandolin i'm like seriously really why don't you stretch this out a little bit you know you could make this a little longer and a little wider and there'd be more room
0: but he plays that thing like like if jimmy page was good on guitar he mm-hmm. he just he rips he rips on that thing and, and he, then he even has the presence of mind like when he wants to do like quote a famous line when he wants to quote the famous line from losing my religion, he he drops the tuning on one one of the strings just a little bit, so it sounds a little bit more Peter Bucky.
1: Yeah, isn't he clever?
0: Isn't that nice? But I was watching, so like I say, I've been watching a lot of videos. Uh, you know, again, I'm kind of obsessed with that AV Club thing where they come in and play covers, and they uh, the Punch Brothers did an amazing cover of just what I needed, totally unironic cover of just what I needed. And I noticed a lot of guys in the band have hats that's the first thing i noticed the second thing yeah. i notice is that there is uh, you don't see two guys wearing the same hat have you noticed this in bands it, it would it be unseemly to show up for a performance banjo player or otherwise and you turn out to be wearing the same it's almost like wearing the same shirt as somebody else in the band like it would be unless that you were doing that for uh for an effect like to highlight that these were twins or something like you wouldn't want to wear the same hat as somebody else in the band is, is that part of the hat process you have to well, get, get some get some independence of your of your hat
1: so my my understanding of of hats, which isn't deep or broad, but um, you are meant to have your own way, right? You're meant not just to have your own. I mean, you're meant to have your own crown, your own style of crown, <laughs> your own king and, hat. <laughs> yeah, and every person that I mean, from the from ye olden time, like from ye olden times, like say 1950. If you look at a picture, of like a crowd shot of people in, 19 let's say, 1940, mm-hmm. and there's, you're looking out and there's a sea of people, and you look at their hats, they're all wearing hats, and you look at their hats, and everybody's got their own individual take on it.
0: Yeah, for, at first glance, it looks like a lot of men wearing the same hat, but when you look more mm-hmm. closely, you see their different styles, their different materials, their different bands,
1: and then they wear it differently. They might, might be at a, at a different angle. And what's what's curious is that they're not. There's not a huge color palette. They're mm-hmm. brown, black, tan, uh, and gray. Mm-hmm. It's not like any any of those people is wearing a blue hat, or certainly not like a red hat. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it, they're all very muted. But yeah, the way the brim, the way the brim is, the way the 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 crown is, the way you kind of grip, like you grasp it with your hands when you're taking it off, and and of the hats that I have and I have what probably 9 to 12 hmm. Stetson style you know felt vintage felt hats that I've come upon in the in the in the years and there's one of them in particular that really nails it for me like that's my look that's my hat I as soon as I saw it I was like whoa hello and all, and when I sit and monkey with the other ones and imagine turning the other ones into this one, they're never. It's never right, and I can never. All the different, you know, they're all very distinctive because they once belonged to somebody. It's and not that, that person, different from blue jeans.
0: It would be like getting a pair
1: of jeans that somebody'd worn for twenty years. Right, right. And but oh, not just that, but somebody. It's like blue jeans that someone had from the day they bought them already. Designed a certain way, because because your hat, it's not like hats came out of the factory all uniform and they took on these character characteristics by being worn. Like when you went to the hat store, you said, "Here's how I want my, here's how I want my hat steamed," mm. and the hat person would put the hat on the steamer, and then they would create and shape, mold, craft, sculpt your hat wow. so that it was to your liking and you can you know you can steam a hat and read redo this on it you, you can take a hat that that you don't like and take it down to the hat steamer and have it steamed and and made made again made anew so it's a it was a whole it was like having your suits tailored you would have your hat tailored and that's a thing when you when you look at a when you look at a cowboy band, where everybody on stage, including the stage manager, including the you know the the guy running across the stage, dressed all in black, with a leatherman on his belt, and a and a mag light. All mm-hmm. of them are wearing hats, in these cowboy bands, and it's not you know they might all be black hats, but every hat I think if these people have any class is going to be. Like you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Mexican bands—they all w- actually wear uniforms. They wear all the same hat and all the same um, clothes from top to bottom. Like but a, think- like a banda band. Like, yeah. You know. I think you will find that they hats- I have a, I have a special
0: affection for that kind of music.
1: Do you really? Yeah. The the uh, the the ballads of the uh, the uh, narco tierras.
0: I I uh, is it norteño? Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've uh, dipped into that just a little bit, but this is gonna. I'm gonna be the white guy for a minute. Just going and getting uh, burritos. I would hear that music and I go, "This is uh, this is very interesting music." The production of on it is extremely. I don't want to take you off your topic here. Yeah. I want to get back to the hats, but it's a very interesting style of music, and they do some pretty burning covers. Have you ever heard the banda cover of uh, "Still the One"? By Eshenay hmm. Twain. That's a uh, I have not.
1: I'll find I, it for I, you. I was, it's a barn burner. I thought you were you were you were referencing still the one, uh, the old NBC television oh, theme from the 70s. Was that. A, no, that you're wasn't America. That was,
0: that was Player. Player was that band. Player, of the band. Yeah, you're still the one who
1: could scratch my itch. Still the one mm-hmm, who. Mm-hmm. We're the, we're still having fun, and you're still, right. the still the one. Still the one, and that was a that was a popular song on the radio, and then. I think it was NBC. It was ABC. ABC. Orleans.
0: It was Orleans. Wasn't player. Player was baby. Come back. Baby,
1: come back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, that that was still that was still a hit song on the radio, and then it was made the ABC television theme. Right. uh, And that was very confusing to me as a kid because I was like, which is it? What? what, Like, what's happening? This is being played on AM radio. I found it extremely confusing. Yeah, I'm still confused. Yeah. Uh so so the uh the hat thing, I feel like a lot of young people are not having their hats tailored because they don't even know it's a thing. Yeah. And so I don't think you get up on stage with the same hat as your bandmate, but I feel like what that has produced and this I'm getting I'm getting super down into this now, into the weeds, into the hat weeds. Mm-hmm, Mhm. What that produces is you're, here, you, here you're going on stage with your friends. You're, you have decided that you're all going to wear hats. And you don't want to wear the same hat. But you don't understand hats very well. You don't understand that you could all go down and buy the same Indiana Jones hat, but just have them steam differently. And so what you end up with is four people on stage who are wearing hats that don't belong together. Huh, they're incompatible. Right. So one person's wearing like a very, very small brimmed Frank Sinatra era trilby hat. And one person's wearing like a flat topped, uh, uh like silver buckled um, Mike McCready hat, which is like the bad guy from a certain kind of spaghetti Western hat. And oh, then, I know what you mean. Like a Lee J. Cobb kind of hat. Right. Yeah. And then you've got like somebody wearing a straw boater and then there's somebody <laughs> wearing like a Robin Hood hat with a giant feather in it and it's like you guys don't this isn't you're just you just look like a you look like a weird catalog of shitty hats. You don't <laughs> just having hats doesn't make you a band. Uh so it so that that really irks me because that it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel to me like the hat wearers are are making the hats their own. They're just trying to distinguish themselves by having a an interesting a more an interesting style of hat. You know, you get Well, the can I I'm come saying, out for right? a
0: take on that? And you give me your sure. diagnosis. Sure. Not many people, you know. Again, famously, one of these things where since what JFK, people have been increasingly wearing fewer hats. Men have been wearing hats less as, as a thing. To where today, a hat is a statement uh in a lot Just of ways. in and of itself in and of itself but also by virtue of the fact that not many dudes wear hats we've also become less nuanced in our understanding of what the hat signifies or the mm-hmm. subtlety of that particular like you say looking at six hats and saying like oh these are actually really different like i couldn't yep. eyeball that do you think i mean is it something where like uh it's sort of like you go on vacation get cornrows or maybe you get a Hawaiian shirt and you don't really think too much about it it's just a thing you did hey, this is a hat i picked up it's not something yeah. where you're investing much in it or you're not even necessarily participating in hat culture in an overt way
1: and and this may be a situation where my desire to understand the the history of a of a culture right even a little bit in just just a slight penetration of the history of hat wearing what hats signify um Uh, maybe has clouded my ability to understand that in the 21st century, the way hats are worn is like everything else in the 21st century. It's a complete undifferentiated hodgepodge Mm. uh, where it's just uh, checks and polka dots and plaids all thrown together. And to be even remotely interested in the fact that this used to mean this or this this is different from that, Because of this change in in history or in tempo or in the moment that's no longer relevant and the question is what hat do you like what Mm -hmm. hat do you think is cool right now and you know that that kind of thing. Maybe I'm being inhibited by my desire to have things mean things but like the top hat Mm -hmm. the, the top hat is not a single thing. If you look at top hats from 1820, I guess when they first kind of came on the scene, uh, up until the, the top hats of 20s, 1920, right? I, I think
0: mean, I think you you'll find presidents wearing wearing top hats at formal events. I want to say at least into the 20s and probably
1: 30s. Woodrow Wilson, you will you will see him often in a in a top hat, but I don't think you'll often see. Maybe, maybe, FDR. maybe, F- maybe FDR. I will he find did, out. He did wear them. He did wear them, but he's a very fancy guy. Harry Truman never had a top hat on. So let's just make the line. Uh, right. Let's make the line. FDR was a fancy, fancy man and wore a top hat. Harry L- Truman. Lots of if,
0: photos of him in what looks like a silk true. top hat. Yeah, here, I mean, Harry is su- in more like a fedora, looking really, looking really smart.
1: I'm sure somebody's going to pull out a, a picture of Harry Truman in a top hat. Well, a just, lot
0: of people could pull out a lot of things, John right but uh but oh there's a top hat with a top hat case look at that this has jesse thorne written all over it
1: they're beautiful top and hat it's, case. it says
0: fdr on it that's
1: his top hat case look at that but the, the but the <clears throat> the the actual hat itself in that hundred years really 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 evolved um mm-hmm. and became like a it was a hundred different things so the the um the top hat that Chester A. Arthur wore and the top hat that Slash wears are like not just the same. They're not, they don't even look anything like each other if you put them next to one another. And if oh, you where, understand. Why aren't you teaching in a university? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so, so like choosing, so let's say, so there was a, there was a time, there was a time in the, uh, in the early 2000s where, uh, the the Long Winters took a photo, a band photo, where we were all wearing hats.
0: <gasps> I remember this.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is and when you
0: guys were kind of getting big, and mm-hmm. this is one of your first, like, we, we've gotten big photo sessions. Now we have a photo were you session. you wearing a
1: blue shirt with, like, an orange background in that? Uh, I mean, we were also wearing suits and ties. We never fully understood. Yeah, was it Sean?
0: How- was Sean wearing a top hat?
1: Sean was wearing a top hat. I remember this. And I went with him to the hat store that day, and the thing about a hat store these days is that you're not going to find an elegant silk top hat anymore mm-hmm. because they're not worn. No, it, there's there's no situation unless you were like at um, uh, unless you were at like the opening day of of the of the. The horse track in England, right? What's that day where the Derby Day, the Derby Day, right? Is that what it's called? What? Or Derby? They say Darby. Dar- Derby. Derby. They say Darby, Derby. They say Clark. Smurf.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, it's going to be a costume. It's like me when I bought a straw boater. You go to a store and there's a,
1: a there's a single high quality straw boater you can buy. That's right. If you're a straw boater person, you're not you're not like. Um, splitting hairs over mm, this isn't the straw boater I want. It's like if you want a straw boater and that's what we've been reduced to, right? If you go to a hat store and you want a bowler hat, there's one bowler hat. Even though there are in the history of the bowler hat 25 different iterations of the bowler. Sure. But so with Sean, uh we wanted a kind of or rather Sean wanted a kind of uh, Mad Hatter style top hat. But it's not- got kind
0: of that this sort of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It starts out kind of big and gets more tapered as it goes yeah, down a little
1: bit? It's It's got quite a bit of taper, but not one all the way to like... Uh, the type of Mad Hatter hat that you would wear if you were going to see um, Alice in Chains, right? You don't, you don't want a, you don't, want a, you don't want a Mad Hatter hat that says like, uh, I like my my younger sister is a juggalette. <laughs> <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you
0: by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by going to casper.com slash supertrain. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven, inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and is delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that-sized box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. The mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups, Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. As far as the quality of this mattress, what can we say? An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. And oh, the convenience, my friend. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free, Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Because Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering that's how you're going to spend about a third of your life. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada? Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. The Casper mattress is designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. And let me tell you something right now. As we speak, as this episode goes up, there is a Casper mattress out for delivery to my home, because you know what I did? I bought my daughter her own Casper mattress. She kept asking my wife and I if we could please cut our king-size Casper mattress in half and give her half. We were not into that, so I got her her very own. So today, we're gonna have another member of the Casper family joining our family, Hakuna Matata. Now, here's the thing. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com supertrain and using the promo code Supertrain. Please remember that terms and conditions do apply, but we would love for you to go and check that out. You go to casper.com/supertrain. Once again, promo code supertrain. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Roderick on the line and
1: all the great shows. You want one that says that you are like Tom Petty mm-hmm. during the period when Tom Petty was wearing a top hat, which Tom Petty did for mm-hmm. a while. Before Slash even, Tom mm-hmm. Petty was rocking the top hat. He was the he was the I think the modern rock top hat person. He 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 lit the fuse. And Tom uh, and 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 Sean was a, a a you know he's obviously like a, a um, formidable person. He has uh, formidable hair, and he needed a hat that could that that projected. A, a hatness that was as big as he was, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to, you're not going to Sean is not going to wear a trilby and have it do anything but make the, make the hat ashamed of itself, mm-hmm. right? The hat, the trilby hat is going to slink off and say, I'm not a big, I'm not enough of a hat for this person. <clears throat> and the top hat was so good on Sean that he wore it periodically. There are some, there are some shots of us playing live, not just once. But multiple times with Sean wearing a top hat and the rest of us weren't wearing hats or in any kind of costume other than just our rock clothes. Mm -hmm. Sean was wearing a top hat and I liked it. You know, it was. It looks good on him. Yeah. A lot of the time when, when, when a rock person affects a weird thing. And my feeling is sort of like, mm, not quite. But this top hat on Sean, I was like, absolutely, I think you should wear it every day. I and think- it's
0: not, I just sent you a, a photo I found off the internet of this, one of your sessions here, photo shoots.
1: Er- Eric's wearing like an Amelia
0: Earhart aviator helmet. You've so got a, what would you call yours? Is yours not a yours is It a, is. is. Is it a homburg? I would, I would call it a homburg. Michael is wearing what appears to be a wig and some yes, kind of, right. and some
1: kind of brown hat. Yeah, the wig. The wig belongs to me, and the brown hat belongs to me. <laughs> my, Michael did not uh, did not have those things in his own. Good for you know, my library. Good for Michael. And what was funny is at that point, you know, uh, up until and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want no. to feel too much. No, we usually redact this. Yeah, but my, Michael had, uh, you know, Michael had only recently shaved his head. Great and look had, for him. Great look. Had been liberated. Because shaving your head now you're now you are not any more concerned about what's going on with your hair. you remember that uh, twelve hours after we met, Chris Cornelia shaved his head in my kitchen. Oh, right. He was going through a real phase then he really wanted to keep it tidy did I no did I ever tell you we were driving through the Nevada desert uh, on the way home from a tour. We'd played our last show, we were in Nevada, and the, and everybody else is asleep. I'm driving. Chris is in the passenger seat, and he said, "Pull over here, will you." Like, you know, this is like UFO country. And I said, yeah, you got to go to the bathroom. And he said, no, I, I just I'd like you to pull over. I think I'm going to walk home from here. Wow. And I said, <clears throat> I said, Chris, it's the middle of the night in the middle of the Nevada desert. I'm not going to let you out to walk home. It would, it would take you five months. He was like, I really I really feel like that's what I want to do. I really feel like right now I want you to pull over and I want you to let me out. I'm going to walk home. And I was like, you know, Winnemucca is a six-day walk from here. And there's nothing between here and there except UFOs. And I talked him out of it. But he was sincere. If I'd pulled over, he would have gotten out with his bag. Like he was very – he wasn't like, let me out of the truck. He wasn't mad. He was just like – I, I'm 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 going to get out here, and obviously he wouldn't have died. He would have finally figured out and put his thumb out and hitchhiked to Winnemucca and probably bought a bus ticket. But maybe he would have walked. Who knows? But yeah, that that time in your kitchen where he was like, "I'm shaving my head right now." Well,
0: I, I'm sorry, I should have said he was he was shaving uh, Michael's head.
1: Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. He mm-hmm. shaved Michael's head. Yeah, I, re- I feel like I remember this pretty clearly,
0: I maybe remember you thinking, "Huh, that up. seems a little familiar." For knowing each other twelve hours. Hmm. <clears throat> in my kitchen. I see what you're saying. Where my children play with their toys. <laughs> <laughs> <Pink>. <laughs> um but but uh what Chris Chris was a delight. I bet he was a handful. He was he was a very, very quick very very funny. I don't know how you guys made it with you and Chris and Sean in that same van. That is there's so many competing super strong personalities i mean not the other guys don't have it but like those ah, it's you and you and sean were enough but with chris in the mix that guy's a wild card man well the
1: amazing thing about chris was that he in the 90s in seattle chris was not regarded as um funny you know it wasn't a thing that he would have said he wouldn't he never projected like i'm the funny one Right and, and it was a, we had a culture here of people that were doing a lot of of playwriting and there were a lot of actors there was a lot of music a, 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 we had a, a pretty tight and interesting group of, of multi-talented people that were doing all kinds of art and Chris was not really he was he was deeply in the mix but he but he he never said like I'm funny I'm doing funny things um, he was sort of, um, you know, he was like the handsome one. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's put it, let's put it how it is. He was the handsome one and he worked as a bartender downtown and he was charming and he had a lot of girlfriends and his charm was, was pretty quick. You know, somebody would come up to the bar and they'd say something snarky to the bartender and Chris could put him, he could put them away. But again, he wasn't, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm funny and Chris was a friend of, of mine, and I never thought, like, oh, Chris is really um, much competition in the funny department. But we got on the road, and I think this was as much a revelation for him as it was for the rest of us. And Chris, all of a sudden, uh, 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 it seemed out of nowhere, revealed this incredible talent of um, storytelling, comedic voices, comedic. Uh, like personalities such that he could take up, I mean, we could drive for five hours and Chris would just be doing a sort of a one man performance the entire time. And the, and Sean and I, so, so part of the the dynamic between me and Sean was that we, you know, we were both, we were both funny, but also we're trying to sort of you know, get deep we were you know we were having critical discussions about critical thought, blah 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 blah. And Chris just cut through that like a hot blade <laughs> <laughs> because Chris just did an hour of uh, he basically we were driving through the desert and he would be like, well, this is you know Bob Jenkins Arizona Northern Arizona radical radio and he would just do like a radio like a talk radio guy. From the location we were in the appropriate voice and with the and as though you were listening to the radio and we would all Sean and I could do was periodically be like ring 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 hi you know it's a like it's a caller and 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 Chris would take the call (laughs) like wow go ahead caller and we would have something we'd give some kind of we'd try to throw some tennis ball in there and he would just very deftly take our call and. Handle and it was what we like tears streaming down our faces and I had I'd known Chris at that point for ten years and I had never seen it before and no one I know had and I don't think Chris had. We drove around for a year where you couldn't wait to get into the truck and wow and in a situation where you would think like Sean and I were always jockeying for uh, who was you know jockeying for top dog. But Chris just blew the whole thing out of the water chris was was faster than Sean faster than me, faster than us both, but there wasn't any real resentment or competition in it because he was so much better. Wow that you could Sean? Him. did Sean think so too absolutely Sean fell in Sean fell in love with him and and it's hard I think it's hard for Sean to fall in love with with somebody that is like. Th- operating at that kind of level and Sean just I mean just loved loved him loves him to this day. So it was a tragedy that Chris couldn't stay in the band because he really made those he just made those miles disappear. And um was a source of a lot of a lot of like real joy, not just distraction, not just like lol, but he he was tapped into he was tapped into some bigger
0: thing. That must, could, have, that must have been such a gift at certain times. I just I can't imagine the drudgery of what
1: that trip could be sometimes if things weren't, you know. It was an incredible gift. And and it and it caused me to realize like why he had been such a successful bachelor. Like looking back ten years before, I did hate Chris in nineteen ninety three because you'd be sitting at a you'd be sitting at a table talking to um somebody that you wanted to chat, chatting up a bird, you would be, he'd be chatting somebody up and Chris would walk through and, um, he would never It's not like he would steal somebody from right underneath you, but he'd come in and, and this was the other crazy thing. He wouldn't sit down across the table from you and be like the brightest light and everyone flocked to him. It didn't work that way. He would just be sitting over there and, like his, his uh, seduction was all done in whispers. You never knew what he was saying hmm. because somebody would, you know, he'd be sitting there and Chris would lean over and he'd go buzz, 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 buzz in their ear and they would go Dee! and then they'd leave. And you're like, what the hell does he say? Wow. What, what does is that, that guy got? And, and so, so later on I realized like, oh, he, you know, what he was saying, what in their ear was something probably pretty amazing. But he never, he never showed this until, until this period of just a couple of years where, where he was arcing through the sky and, and the, and the problem was it was only happening in the van. Like when we got on stage, there wasn't really an opportunity for him to step up to the microphone and do this routine. And he wasn't really comfortable on the microphone. You know, like, if if he had an opportunity to join in that kind of thing, that, like, on stage banter in front of a crowd, he didn't – that wasn't where he wanted to be. He didn't like it there. And we were in the van every day, like, oh, we've got to – you know, we have to make a TV show about you. We have to, like – we're just strategizing. Like, how do we get you in front of people? You're the world's greatest actor. He could do any voice. And – after he left the band, he went to New York City, he joined an improv theater group, he joined, like, uh, UCB. What? Really? But huh. never made it above the, like, the level of people that were paying to take classes at UCB. Right. And he taught a couple classes at UCB, but it's not like he joined a successful improv group. Well, he's still handsome. Look at him. He's a very handsome guy. And he went to L.A. He's got great, great hair. The greatest. He had great hair when it was when he was young and it was completely jet black and then as it started to get salt and pepper it was great. It never stopped being great. My great uncle My great uncle Truman, who was in the Merchant Marines, had the exact same hair. He was Truman was eighty five years old and his hairline had not budged an inch from when he was fifteen years old. Just looked like a just looked like a, a washer brush. Like a like a badger brush. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, and Chris was one of my closest friends for a long time. And uh, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. Don't know what's going on with him. Like somehow it wasn't... Somehow th- that pressure cooker of being in that van... And I think part of the pressure of being in that van was that Sean Nelson was there and that I was there. And mm-hmm. that, that was a... That was a kind of audience and a kind of um, a cauldron. Uh, but if I could, if I if I could have put on tape the that year and a half in the van, um, you know, it was it was a like a, something I can't quite account for. You know, like you meet people and you feel like I know who you are. Like I I know you, Merlin. And if we went on a road trip together and you cracked me up the entire time, I would. I, I have an idea of what that would be like, right? You could crack me up the entire time. And, but I know what it would look like, mm-hmm. but I didn't see this coming. And this was somebody I'd known for years I had He was my roommate for Christ's sake for three years, but I didn't, I had never seen this before this. Um, and he, and it's not that he wasn't himself. He was still himself. He just all of a sudden just had the power of complete mimicry and the power of of just like improvisation and character.
0: I feel like this is a phenomenon that you could most succinctly summarize as just because you can crack up your frat brothers is no guarantee that you would be a good stand-up comedian for many, many, many reasons. Mm -hmm. And when you start untangling that, you realize how complicated all those things are. There's some people who crack up their friends who could potentially become a comedy writer, you could become, like, a comedy producer. And this isn't just true for comedy. It's true for music. It's true for lots of things. But it's it's so rare to be able to take... It, let's just stick with comedy for a minute. But to take that skill of being funny to people around you and convert that into being funny professionally mm-hmm. on stage or screen. Because it takes this totally different skill. I mean, there's this totally different, like, X factor that goes beyond knowing how to crack up John and Sean and, you know eric and michael you right. know what i mean and, and it's but it's it feels like it's right there it could feel like it's right there just like slightly out of reach but then you realize oh but there's there's the the grind of having to get into a group like that or like having to make these decisions and i just, I just heard a really good interview with keegan um, michael key about is that his name you know the guy mm-hmm. from key and mm-hmm. peel about how he basically they were asking him like how he decided to go to mad tv rather than something else like say saturday night live and he's like well it's money like they they were paying better at, at wow. Matt T V. And that is also where he ended up working <clears throat> working with um his partner and doing like writings writing, writing um, sketches together. Right. But I don't I don't know. That this is a topic that I always find so interesting and you can expand it way beyond comedy. Comedy is where I feel like one of the places where you can feel it um, most strongly is that what what a leap it is to go from cracking up your friends to doing this for a living but i think it's true for music i think it's true it could be true for writing it's just it's true for so many things and i wonder how often people who have succeeded with something could even like go to a high school and give a talk on how it is that they were able to make it big because i bet there's so many ineffable qualities and micro decisions that would be almost impossible for that person to identify
1: well and i think I think you're right the number of um, guitar players I've known between the time that I first started knowing guitar players let's say I was 15 right it's funny that I never I never knew a kid that was 10 years old and and already a virtuoso Um, the first guitar players I was even aware of I guess freshman year in high school I knew that there were there were guitar players That I mean, it was a thing that you could actually do. It wasn't just on TV. Uh, But by fifteen, I like knew guitar players. I owned a guitar. But from that point until the present day, I have known so many guitar players, and so many of them were amazing, amazing musicians and amazing even like songwriters who couldn't get who couldn't get to a situation couldn't get to a to a position where they were in a good band like let alone uh, a good band that that went anywhere mm-hmm. but like they couldn't even put it together to get into a good band they either kept trying to make kept trying to flog bands with a fatal flaw or bounced from one band to the next and couldn't ever settle in somewhere or Wanted the band to be really centered on them, but they were missing a crucial skill, mm-hmm. like singing. Um, and you and you feel like <clears throat> then there are those few instances where you're sitting with somebody and they start to idly hum along with the radio. And you go, whoa, I didn't know you could sing. Oh, ha, ha, you know, sing along with the radio. No, no, no. You have an incredible voice. And it happens. Mm-hmm. I was in a. I was in a. I, I regret to this day not not doing a better job of corralling this person. But I was in one of those um, something called a rock lottery. Uh, we, uh, it started in Austin, but we had one, one in Seattle, and I think maybe it's still ongoing. But what would happen is they would invite a dozen musicians across a wide spectrum of of, of instruments and ability. And put them all together. You know, divide them up into like groups of five and two dozen musicians. Like here, you're five of you. You're five of you. Like there's two bass players, a clarinetist, a uh, person playing hand drums, and a opera singer in this group. And and then you're responsible for writing a song and then singing it at the end or performing it at the end of the day. It's a it's a interesting. It's one of those things that's interesting to do and interesting to watch. I'm not sure that if it was happening in the garage of the house across the street right now, I would go over there to watch, but I guess I probably would. It would be noisy. I would have to deal with it. But I, I participated in one of those and one of the other groups. So at the end concert, we're watching the show and it was like, Oh yeah, that's really interesting. You guys had a, you guys had a theremin player. (laughs) Isn't that something (laughs) he's wearing a hat, but there was one of the bands that had a, a singer and I, and he was a guy that just looked like kind of a punk punky guy, also wearing a hat and a leather jacket and seemed like somebody that smoked a lot of cigarettes and he seemed fun. But he started to sing and I just saw the future of music in him. Like, you're the most rock and roll person I ever saw. And it wasn't that he was that rock and roll looking, it was just that his Voice came out, and I was like, "I want to start a band with you. I want to be the, I want to be the guitar player in your band, and I don't want to play anything complicated. I want to play three chords. Every song is three chords because it's all it would need. Mm -hmm. I just want to be that person, loud guitar behind you while you do that, whatever it is." And I went up to him afterwards, and I was like, "Wow, you're incredible! Who do you play for?" And he named some band that I hadn't heard of, and that I haven't heard of now. And I was like, "Wow, I'd really love to uh, yeah, get together sometime, or like just meet for coffee or something." And he he was kind, but he his he very much had that like, "Well, I'm I'm pretty happy with the with my band, the Lampshades." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, well, cool. I mean, uh, still, you know, we should hang out." And he was like, "Yeah, we should totally do that." And he, it wasn't like he was condescending; he was just like, pretty much saw a lot of. He just saw what he saw his future in the lampshades. And um, I really wish I'd gotten his name because it's because in music, it's it always changes, right? Six months later, he might have been like, I wonder who that guy was. I'd really like to get in touch with him. But it doesn't happen very often where you see somebody that has that kind of gift that no one has, you know. It, a gift, and it's like they just stepped off the bus from Spokane in Hollywood, and they're like, "Which way do I turn? Yeah. I want to make it in the big town, and you want to be the creep in the powder blue Lincoln Continental, <laughs> who's parked across the street from the bus station, who's like, hey, need a ride? Want a ride and a hot
0: meal?'" <laughs> <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, I know. I think I know what you're talking about, and it's a funny thing where if you think about how you would, in in some ways, how you this is very cynical, but how you could reverse engineer success. Out of a lot of careers, um, you take a person who is humble, easy to get along with, shows up on time, looks for opportunities to be helpful, uh, constantly improves their craft, is open to change and wow. accepting. <clears throat> <clears throat> but like, if you, you think about like like what makes people successful,
2: yeah,
0: whether you know whether it's a guitar player or an actuarial or whatever. There's these certain qualities that you see in lots of people. They may not be considered the the Abraham Lincoln of what they do, but there's somebody that everybody could look at and go, oh, that person's a pleasure to be with. And it was great to work with them. You know, you somebody like you've talked about Christina Aguilera and how she's always the hardest working person in the room. Mm -hmm. So you take all those kinds of qualities. um, I'm probably missing, uh, missing a few, but anybody who has to do work with other people and in kind of changing situations, those are the kind of qualities you would want in everybody. It would almost be better to engineer this, this uh, super race of Terminators, of people who had all of those qualities, and then teach them guitar. Or give them mm. voice lessons. Or mm. do these other things. Because in all the things we're talking about, sometimes it's just reluctance or not seeing that that's who you are or who you could be. But so often it's like, well, you know, it's really if you really think about what we do instead, it's kind of bananas. Wow, I somehow accidentally got really good at guitar, so, you know, why am I not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? was like, mm-hmm. well, did you check all those other boxes? Because well, all those is- other
1: things are so important. This is, the, you know, I, I think about this quite a bit, right? Because we, just think about our um, our good friend, Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. Who, by all accounts, is a miserable, awful person to not just work with, but be around. It sounds very, I mean,
0: very unpleasant.
1: If you've seen that documentary of the uh, Fleetwood Mac Getting Back Together, some Getting Back Together documentary, I forget what it was, where um, they're working on some album in recent times. Uh, and Lindsey is just... I mean, you can't even stand to be, you can't even, you have to avert your eyes from the screen while he's on the screen. You because you just so
0: had, There's blood. so much bad blood in that band for so many very good reasons that it's such an act of graciousness just to even be in a room with each other that like yeah. you would all just it seems like you'd all want to be on your best behavior and say, you know, yeah. bygones be bygones and let's just, let's just agree not to be assholes with each other for a few days
1: and like try to do I, this thing. And there's a camera in the room, so you're aware of that too. And all, through all the years of like Fleetwood Mac uh, gossip, of course, I always thought that Stevie Nicks would be the difficult one, mm-hmm. right? She's dancing around in a, in a thousand scarves and um, and singing about Rhiannon, like she's going to be the high maintenance person. But watching these documentaries, you go, Stevie Nicks is amazing. She's the sole of like patient professionalism and Lindsey Buckingham is driving me and everyone else crazy and they are going to great lengths to accommodate him and yet here he is uh, this uh, incredible guitar player and great but always great like
0: pushing pushing his personality into the center
1: of everything and this is the this is so 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 this is I and I think not not an invalid line of questioning which is that in our Contemporary world, we're taking it as as uh, as read that what we should be doing with our kids and in the in our culture at large is removing all obstacles for friendly, good-natured people. We should be teaching friendliness and good-naturedness. We should be removing from the we should be removing obstacles from the path of young people so that they don't have to confront. Adversity in the same way that we did, right? We we no longer put our cigarettes out on our children's arms,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like. But that's how John Bender became John Bender, right? John Bender was the coolest guy in the Breakfast Club,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's just because nobody else had, nobody's father had ever put a cigar out on him. If you want to make an anomaly, you got to break some kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the but the question is like, Lindsey Buckingham's awful. John Lennon was awful, and. Would those people in Would those people now have been kicked, had been bumped out of whatever their career path was at a much earlier time, by people saying, "You are awful. You're an awful bully. You're a you're a, you're a, a mean person," and so you're not going to be given this opportunity, or we're going to be privileging that your behavior over your talent, and so we're disincluding you and we're including uh, you know Joe Goodnature over here mm-hmm. but what you're missing is the what what ends up like neutering the art is the the discomfort the the the, the missing discomfort the missing frission. and what you end up is sort of what you end up with is this kind of like gray nutritive paste <laughs> of music and culture that i think we're we're Even now starting to see like the very few, very few people who are really burning bright in that way where 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 they're so captivated, so captivating because they're on this like path of self-destruction that you see like, oh, my God, they are going to crater so hard. And then they don't, you know, like think about even uh, Nile Rogers or whatever. In 1978, he was. Not on the path that we think of. He's on now, right? He was really burning, burning bright. Was that right? No, just not. In, he wasn't a bad guy, but hmm. they, you know, there's a lot the of uh, a
0: lot of material out there to consume. Yeah,
1: living hard. Mm-hmm. So I, so I don't know. I mean, I, I you, you never want to, and obviously you can't, you can't reverse engineer it. You can't say like, oh, let's. If you sit in this chair and you prick the ends of your finger with a needle uh, every day for an hour, that will give you the the association with pain. It will give you the familiarity with pain that will allow you to write meaningful music or make meaningful art. Um, but, but we, we are right now in, in, in a, in a moment in human culture where we are hostile to pain and, and devoting a tremendous amount of energy to relieve pain and suffering from, from as, from as many people as we can to, to, as as great a degree as we can, and is although, pain is pain
0: too strong a word? Because I mean, you know, I think it's normal to say like I don't want my kid to have an infection and die. It's another thing to say like I don't want my child to ever be inconvenienced.
1: Yeah, but 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 yeah, there is a there is that weird world between infection and death and inconvenience mm-hmm. that I think this is all happening. You know, so this um, also gets into the the things like we've. In, uh, in quotes, bad words.
0: This is yeah. kind of this larger issue of, like, n- nothing should ever come along that makes you feel bad.
1: The, in, in my daughter's class, there is a child who, at a certain point just this year, went through a kind of looking glass and, by all accounts, before was a very nice person and now is, is a hitter. Hmm. And the school district doesn't know what to do. The school district isn't very well equipped. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. And they have a lot of they have a lot of solutions on a long continuum. And one of them is a weighted vest. And one of them is a, a an employee of the school that comes into the class. Mm-hmm. And is, you know, an assistant to deal with this kid. And I know the kid and he's a, he's a, you can see he's a lovely little boy. And he actually, there is something going on. He does not want to hit. He doesn't want to be, uh, he doesn't want to be having this experience. Yeah, a lot of people
0: don't understand and I don't appreciate that about, you know, all these problem kids is like, you can just see the misery of them like being run by some kind of clockwork and they don't like yeah. it either.
1: Yeah, something's inside him. Mm-hmm. He does, and and his his parents never saw it before, so they don't know how to deal with it. And it only happened when he went to school for the first time. He and so he, but now we're in a situation where my daughter comes home from school every day and says, um, well, you know, I got hit again. And he's hitting nobody, her? He's hitting everybody. Oh god. And nobody wants to be around him. But he's also a nice kid and people want to play with him. But what 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 is happening ultimately is that everyone in the class is being affected by it. Like they are getting – they are having an inferior experience of school because a component of being in school is that you might get hit at any time by this kid. And he's disrupting learning. And – so here but but we're in this problem of like do at what point is he removed from school at what point is mm-hmm. he sequestered at what point is he put into a into a box of like uh the unredeemable but by the same token, do all the other kids have a have a right to be able to be in school and not feel like they're going to get hit? And you know, and he's not like a—he's not a big kid. He's a small kid. He's just like this. Just happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I think every parent in the school, and, and 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 given the given the makeup of of this particular elementary school, it's really astonishing to me the amount of just general sort of class wide patience everybody has. There is no it feels par- really different. Yeah, yeah, There is no parent that I've uh, that, that I, I've yet experienced in this group who's like, my child is having their education affected, and I want this dealt with now. Um, everybody's just like, well, let's see what, let's see, let's see, mm-hmm. let's try other things. Well, we're three quarters of the way through the school year, and when I talk to my daughter about it. Uh, and I, and I think back on my own childhood, you know, there were kids that hit me. There were kids that there are kids that hit and you, and ultimately like the amount that her education is being affected by it. I feel like there's another side of that, which is that she's getting an education in the fact that, that there are people that hit and then nobody else knows what to do like the grown-ups don't have a solution. And this is painful. It's painful for him, it's painful for everybody, and it's one of the it's one of the things um, and and the adults that feel like they should I mean and I think in a lot of other cases and it might just be that we have a very lucky group of 22 parents where everybody is where everybody recognizes the the depth of the of the uh, complication. You could be in a lot of other schools and there would be some crusader who demanded that there was something done or, um, or somewhere in the, in the school administration office, this got put into the file folder of bullying, uh, which we've all agreed is a no tolerance thing. And then this kid becomes tagged as somebody that needs, not just like special accommodation, but needs to needs some punitive um, re education. Reconditioning. Yeah. And so forth and so on. But but what we re- what this my is a, just to be clear this is a five or six year old kid. Yeah, it's six years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, or 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 that he needs to be medicated, like profoundly medicated to uh, you know, in order to survive in 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 order that he be a good six year old in this context where the stakes are listen to stories uh, learn to use scissors um, you know learn your alphabet mm-hmm. uh, in order to do that he needs to be on some kind of like cocktail of drugs and so my take on it is look we're we're just trying to um We're just trying to be in this, on this arc. Hopefully, every year, there won't be another kid who is like, who makes you scared. But there's always going to be a kid that's a problem. There maybe are a couple. And one of the things that you learn when you have a kid that, Hits is don't stand too close to him or don't be next to him without being aware that he might hit you at any point. Like, be his Mm -hmm. friend. Be nice to him. But keep one eye open. And these aren't necessarily bad lessons. You know, it's not what you would want. It's what you're
0: everything you're describing there. I feel like. um As somebody who, you know, I had my own room, I was in mostly safe schools, safe neighborhoods. You know, one of the things I found challenging for a lot of my adulthood is just I'm the super class of issues I'm going to call dealing with neighbors. So that could be people, that could be your roommate in college, it could be people in the adjacent room, people above, people below. But people you do not have control over and people where you can't just press a button and make them change. Um, even if they are quote unquote wrong in your eyes and a lot of times until you get your head right about this, you think everybody's wrong. That's not doing it the way you want. You know, they're, they're using their car at the wrong time of night or whatever. They (laughs) they put out their trash wrong. There's Uh all these, these, all these grievances that you can come up with because maybe uh, I'm just speaking for myself. Maybe because I got very accustomed to be able to being able to control my environment and have recourse for when it didn't go my way. Mm -hmm. A certain kind of privilege, if you like. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's one thing where what you're describing here is super complicated, especially with a little kid. We're not talking about somebody who's in 10th grade and setting off firebombs. We're talking, it sounds like, this sounds very similar to what happens at my kid's school, which there are little kids that are, hmm, they're different. They're not not, um, governable. In the way that everybody would like them to be. So as you say, so what is the solution? Do we put them in the brown reading group? Do we fill them full of drugs? Like, what do we do? But that to me, that's, that's, that's one place where like it's been a hard road for me is dealing with the super class of issues that I will call neighbors. Cause yeah. I felt like, ooh, I would be all you like Yosemite Sam. Like you've got to stop being that way. And, like, no, they don't have to stop being that way. Like, if you, if you grow up amidst lots and lots of people living a 24-hour life in a way that doesn't comport with yours, you, well, then you naturally grow up understanding that, well, you know, I could put in earplugs or I could move or I could do these other things. But it's like pushing a rope to try and change everybody to conform to your idea of how that behavior should go. And in the case of the poor people at your school and the poor people at my school, I mean, there's really at least two problems. One problem is that what that kid's doing is disruptive and potentially dangerous. We've got to deal with that. But like I said, the ungovernable part is the hard part. you got one kid in a class like that. I'm very sympathetic to this because these poor people are just at sixes and sevens with the resources they have. You get one kid like that in a class, it's a pain in the ass. What happens when you get two kids like that? Yeah. Or you get two and a half or three kids like that in the class. And pretty soon, that teacher is spending 60 to 80% of their time... Just being a referee or, uh, or a paramedic,
1: yeah, right. That, and that, that and the other the it... other kids are just staring at their fingernails, and that's not why we send them to school. Not getting noticed, let alone rewarded for
0: the fact that they're not punching somebody else, or you know what I mean. Right. So, but my
1: my my take on what my responsibility here is is that my like everybody's trying to figure out what to do with this little boy. And the and everyone is taxed because of all the things that you're saying. You can't just change him. You can't take him out. You can't um, you can't ad- ad- adapt the entire school to him. But what I can do is not be a problem in the sense that I can use it as a teaching experience for my kid, and we can you know and and you never want to say like i'm sending my kid to this school and now i'm in a position where we're trying to make the best of it but in fact that's what you're always doing in every situation you send your kid to the public school and you try to make the best of it and even if everybody in the school is friendly you're just your kid is getting educated on mass mm-hmm. um nobody's getting a tailored experience and in this situation there is this other this other issue, and if it wasn't a little boy, if there was a uh, if there was a radiator in the class that every day at 145 suddenly went on with no and and couldn't be turned off, and the temperature of the room went up to 102, um, there are lots of kids in America that are in a classroom like that, and if it was just that. Right across the street from your kids' elementary school was a guy with a jackhammer that for an hour every day jackhammered Mm -hmm. for a month and a half. Um, That's also something that's happening in schools across America. And so in this situation... I'm trying to help that little boy and his family and the school and my own kid by saying, yeah, you know what? Sometimes, uh, you gotta, (laughs) sometimes it's the neighbor problem and, um, your neighbor puts the garbage out wrong. And after you leave five super passive aggressive notes taped to the garbage, you have to realize they're not going to change. And so don't let yourself be in a situation where you get hit by this kid. How about that? It sucks. It sucks but um it's better than and you know and, i mean like how,
0: what would the advice be for something like what are you going to do you're going to stop riding public transit because occasionally there's somebody out there on there acting erratically right. i mean you're not talking about bombs going off every month you're talking about the occasional interactions with people who are who you can't control that are doing things that you don't like and scare you and in that case i mean the only solution I, is to walk away
1: i feel like we're now over a kind of hump where there is at least at this level, and I'm surprised. I, I went into public school thinking that we were that the that the other parents and that the conditions within the school were going to be kind of as I imagined they were 10 to 15 years ago, where this would have been addressed with a lot of um, over action. That there, that this would have been an emergency situation. It would have been a situation where the the parents of the child were really over Like you start what with you doing some pearl wrong? clutching,
0: the pearl clutching yeah. turns into
1: something must be done about this now. My, ch- you know, my child is in this school too, and is being you know harassed and bullied and subjected to physical violence by this other kid, and I want redress. You know, all of that stuff that I imagine was what was going on in the schools 10 years ago because I remember then you know I lived through those years and I thought that's what what, what uh, is how it would be now and I feel like there is because of the ebb and flow of time there has been reintroduced into these institutions and I think it's largely because the parents are a different are coming from a different place some reality and some sense of like you know what yeah this is just how it is and 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 we all recognize that there are limited resources and we all recognize that this is a real, this is just one of the normal challenges of life. And so nobody's going to go to prison and nobody's going to be put on Ritalin. We're just going to figure out a workaround here. And, you know, what's funny is when I come into the school now, the teacher will often say, hey, will you go over and just give him a really big, strong hug right now? And The first time I was like, what? Because I like him. But I wasn't sure if that was even allowed. And she was like, "Yeah, I think that he I can feel him like building up and I think what he needs is a big strong hug from a big man." This is a this is a thing. And I was like, "Yeah, okay." And so I went over and I was like, "Hey, buddy. How's it going? Come on in." And he was like, "Huh?" And I wrapped him up and gave him like this, mm, "You're a good guy, you know." And you could just feel him like, Ooh. "Yeah." Like he just wanted He just wanted somebody uh, that was way bigger than he was to envelop him for
0: a second. Did you ever see that Temple Grandin movie
1: with um, Claire Danes? No, I remember... Uh, you know, last night I was watching a Claire Danes movie called Homeland. Uh, Melancholia. Melancholia.
0: Oh. Huh. Uh, well, which in is the, in that movie she In that movie, she invents a machine for, like, basically squeezing herself. And they're trying to throw her out of school because they think it's some kind of a sex thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of thought on this now. I'll, I'll t- I've thought about getting a weighted
1: blanket. Maybe it's a thunder vest.
0: I've, th- I've thought about, I mean, because I, I, I think that would calm me down a lot. But when I'm anxious when I sleep, I think having a weighted blanket would help yeah,
1: yeah. I, would like I that. think I think there's a lot to that uh, to the sort of self well, the swaddling is basically what it absolutely. is absolutely yeah swaddle your ass um, and I think there are a lot of people probably listening to this program who are right now thinking, is there a way that I could find something in my own house to swaddle myself with right now? <laughs> Self-swaddling Just yeah, you got to get a little bit and the thing is a weighted blanket yeah I'm, I'm betting you don't have one.
0: Now I've looked into it. It's hard, it's hard to get from Amazon Prime cuz they're pretty heavy.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing shipping. It's shipping that's going to kill. That's how they you. get you. Yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> but um but I do feel like I do feel like part of being sane and raising your child in a sane way is to not expect that there's a solution to every problem. To not expect that you are going to get perfect redress for every complaint. And that's And I feel like that maybe was the philosophy for a while there. And that it it was – that it – you know, that where we are now is a product of having been through that and seen, oh, we're not going to go back to a time when um, the bully was on the playground and was like physically torturing your child. But we're also not going to take every kid that brings – like that, every kid that sits out on the playground and sharpens a stick, we're not going to immediately put him into protective custody or like. I,
0: I'm I'm trying to be circumspect about this because I I I think when you get into these issues, it is helpful to think about privilege. I really, I really do. Because one thing you're saying there is like, I think you're making a really good point here about like, you know, how you get redress. And there's that term they use, I think it's a legal term where they say um, to be made whole, which is the idea that somebody has done something or caused something to happen to you that has taken money from you. It's usually money, but it's taken something from you. And now there has to be some way to make sure that that is made right, that you are essentially made whole. Meaning, so like in one example, well, if you're working in a mine and you lose an arm just hypothetically, because the company was careless about something, well, you can't give me my arm back, but you should give me something to compensate for the fact that you took my arm, that's going to have an, a huge impact on my life. And now, what are we going to do to make me whole, so to speak? Right. But that idea, I think that is an idea that you talk about, like sort of a baseline of like, we need to get back to my normal. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a privileged position, and people are not <laughs> aware of it, is like, what? hey, listen, what is the rest of the world going to do to get me back to where I'm comfortable about how all of this works. And right. to me, this is just there's a thousand angles here into this whole, like, you know, whether it's making America great again, which is, it's essentially this idea of let's go back to a time when everybody but white people had a reason to be scared, where wow. we could, we could demand that we'd be made whole and everybody had to capitulate to that because reasons. So I don't know. I just, I, and I, and I do agree with what you're saying also where like my kid's been in school eh, for, for a number of years, uh, it feels so different than when I was a kid. I mean, uh-huh. I might just be because I'm an old man now, but like, I don't know. There's just so many things that seem so different. And, and there does seem to be less hysteria about almost everything than I expected. Whether yeah. that's from What's... the parents or whether that's from the teachers, the faculty, the, the faculty and the staff. Like, there's just less hysteria about stuff
1: than there used to be i 'm super gratified by it I, it's, it's so much better than I expected because you 're
0: dealing with adults you 're not dealing with yeah. sli- slightly advanced <laughs> yeah. children who are wondering how
1: they're getting ripped off <laughs> yeah yeah i i really I really did expect that I was going to sit in a group of parents and say like, Well, you know, kids will be kids, and they would all go. <gasps> Uh, no, kids will not be kids anymore. And in fact, everyone's just like, "Yeah, I, I tried to make cake pops uh, uh, to make them all uh, to appease them, but they're monsters." And I was like, "Yeah, high fives all around, right? Cake pops don't solve anything, do they?" I, I, I feel, I feel like. When I hear that made whole thing and that whole mentality, I just I reflect on You just on, you just
0: pick at that. Just pick at that just a little bit and uh, it's completely it's crazy is what it is. It's like how think about so all, the world owes you and you're like you are again you're olive oil's father and the world owes you an apology.
1: <laughs> it it seems like it seems I what what I hear is two people in divorce court and <laughs> splitting think, up the beanie babies. <laughs> yeah, and you you think about the number of of uh, of divorces, where that feeling that I'm going to be made whole, and I'm going to take it out of of my partner. We're splitting up, and I'm going to be made whole, and and the acrimony that comes into a divorce when, in fact, everybody got about what they're due, right? Like you can't be made whole here. You're you're breaking up, and it's not a question even of money like you're just mad or you're sad and you want you and you feel like your arm got lopped off and you've lost all sympathy for your partner and so you're going to be made whole and and the divorce takes the takes a path where what could have been I mean it's like the it's like the uh, the uh, partition of Palestine or whatever. There was a moment when Arafat could have signed the piece of paper and nobody would have been happy. But there was a a solution there. Bill Clinton was standing there with his fucking hat full of milk, and it was like, we all agreed. Here it is. Here's the plan. We all agreed on this. We've been working on this for decades. This is it. Here it is. This is the moment. And Eric Pat was like, "Mm, but if I do that, I won't be popular with the, you know, with the uh, with my little gang. Mm -hmm. And so, nope, I'm not going to do it. And then it was like, that was the one chance in history. And and you blew it because you wanted to be made whole in a way that you couldn't be made whole. There was never a way to actually work for peace a peaceful solution here and also for everyone to get what they want and particularly for you to be made whole. And now you get nothing. Or, Nobody gets now nothing. You get nothing. Yeah. And and I think about all the divorces that happen where it's like you're right there, you both acknowledge like this is it. We're done. Like you get the car, I get the boat, uh here's our visitation, here's like the, you know, here, here's how it all splits up. But you want me to say that I was wrong, or you want, or I'm not going to leave here until you shake my hand, or, or it's, you know, it's
0: Festivus and it's time for the airing of grievances. Here's all of the things that I have been storing up and tolerating for years, and I want to I want to give you this Excel spreadsheet of emotional
1: brokenness. Then I want you to go through each item and explain it and apologize and pay me for it right and enter it into the court record Mm -hmm. and at that point what could have been a like largely amicable solution to what is a fairly normal problem of two people splitting up goes into a thing where it will it can never be repaired and it was over nothing it was over uh, something symbolic or some desire to be made to, to have a thing that cannot be redressed be made right and in in a i try to i try to see in every conflict now and particularly you know since i'm since i'm now s- uh, receiving treatment for mental illness and say like is there a way to be made right here no because time has passed i can never be made young again
0: you you're, know? You're, like, you're, you're putting a band-aid on a wound that healed or scarred years ago yeah like no no, I, no amount of neosporin is going to fix that wound
1: I was at a I was at a music commission meeting the other day, and uh, one of the one of the magazines here in town, the the weeklies, wrote an article about the music commission. And that article made the music commission visible for the first time to people in the larger community. who were like, oh, there's a music commission. Hmm. And so we had a commission meeting in our in city hall where we sit around and the chairman has a gavel. And people give us PowerPoint demonstrations, and we sit at a big table with nameplates out in front of it. And all of a sudden, there were all these people in the room, and it was like – and every time we have a meeting, it's like, all right, well, we'd like to open it up for public comment. And periodically, somebody gets up and says, hey, uh, you know, I just – I work for Real Networks, and I just thought I'd come and see the meeting. Thanks for having me. And they sit down, and you go, great, all right, anyway. Like, who approves the meetings? Or, you know, let's approve the the notes from the last meeting or whatever. I don't – I hardly pay attention. Mm Mm-hmm. This time, the chairman was like, uh, "Let's open it up to public comments," and several people got up who were members of a protected class here in Seattle, which are the people who get up at public meetings and rant <laughs> about their problem with the with the with the city. You know their problem with the city. Mm-hmm. And so there were several people who gave little speeches, but two of them gave. And they worked in concert with one another. They were like uh, a little a team. One got up and gave a 15 minute long speech where she excoriated the music commission for things that we uh, can do nothing about. And then her friend followed up and both very emotional, long uh, presentations about how it was all our fault about something. And they hadn't even been aware there was a music commission until the, this article came out the week before. So we're sitting there just like, and it's very emotional. Like, whoa, this is really heavy. And it's emotional in a way that the chairman feels like, I don't want to interrupt because this seems very cathartic for you or like maybe this is stuff we all need to hear or it's this type of thing. And at one point, one of the women said, in the in the height of her fury about Uh, all the injustices she said you know and now i'm standing here and uh, you know uh, now i'm standing here leaning on a cane i used to be young Mm. and it was like whoa i don't think the music commission has the power to she really buried the lead with that one yeah like i don't think we can address that oh god that you used to be young um but you know, this is the public comment period now the, the, reason, I, the reason I bring it up is there are all these emails back and forth from music commissioners like all apologizing to each other because no one knew what to do, and it was like, "Hey, you know you you know what? nobody knew what to do in there don't it's you don't have to apologize it's a it's it's a it's a while did you wild guys wild. decide to take any action as a result uh i I moved that we make her young again. <laughs> Uh, But I didn't get a second. There was just a long, uncomfortable silence.
0: Oh, that is so painful.